0: Father, we do ask for your blessing now. Lord, we do ask that uh, we'd be able to put everything aside for a few minutes and that uh, we'd be able to look at this text of Scripture and that we'd make very specific application to our lives. And Lord, I have the the joy, I have the privilege and the honor of uh, discussing this text with my friends here uh, who have gathered, and I dare not... Uh, speak of your word without recognizing my need to depend it up, to be dependent upon you and your spirit. And so that's what we're doing right now. We're asking that your spirit would use your word for uh, to help us. Um, and so we just ask that um, you'd be honored. And Father, all year we've been praying for 10 people to be saved, 10 people to be baptized, and 10... Uh, new regular tenders and you've been answering that. Um, but perhaps there's even uh, someone here today that uh, needs to trust you as their Savior. Uh, it's not a matter of being part of a church or attending a church. It's a matter of, of understanding the grace of God. And so if there's anyone here today that has not yet fully understood or has not come to a saving understanding of the grace of God, of your grace, Father, I pray that today would be the day and that uh, your spirit would uh, illuminate their minds to the scriptures. And um, Lord, I pray that uh, we would uh, honor you with these next few moments here. This is about you and, and your word, and we want you to be praised. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Let's go to Mark 1. Mark 1, uh, page 837, if you're using one of the Bibles provided for you there. Um, The text was already read earlier in the the service, so I won't read it right now, but I will be drawing back to it and going back to it. Um, As I was thinking about this text and um, how to uh, begin this, the subject of selfies came to my mind. Okay? Selfies. It's one of those uh, newer things in, in the last you know, decade or so that has really become part of the dictionary and things. And um, quick survey how many of you have ever taken a selfie? Raise your hand. All right, okay. That's all right, okay. Did anyone? Bob, did you not raise your hand? You've never taken a selfie. Never. All right. Okay. So after the service, everyone's got to go by Bob and take a selfie with Bob. Okay. All right. So that's, that, that's, that's, that's application number one of the sermon. Okay. All right. But there's only a few of us who've never done it, right? We, 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 we've done it. Okay. Most of us have, have, have taken a selfie. According, and maybe this is the reason why Bob has never done this, because according to a recent study published by the Journal of Family Medicine and Primary Care, some 250 people have died taking selfies since 2011, okay? Shockingly, most of the victims were men, okay? 72%, and under the age of 30, okay? Okay? Now, I, I want to be careful with this open illustration because when we're talking about people dying, we don't want to make light of that, okay? Uh, this idea, though, of, of selfie, and, and it can be a dangerous thing, though, um, and the risks that people take sometimes is, is, is uh, mind numbing. According to the CNN article that I was reading about this, art, about this study, um, it was uh, from this month, it, it, women generally take more selfies than men However, researchers found that men were more likely to take risk. So quoting the study, it justifies the higher number of deaths and incidents for men because of the willingness to take risks. A drowning is the leading cause of selfie death, uh, usually involving people being washed away by waves on beaches or falling out of a boat. Uh, transport was the second highest. that means the idea of uh, standing on railroad tracks and trying to get a quick picture while a train's coming. Um, Tied for third were fires and falls from high places. Now, again, I'm not trying to make light of of death here, of people dying. It's tragic, okay? So I'm not trying to do that. But what I am trying to do is I'm trying to point out that in most of these situations, and particularly the highest category of fatalities and the idea of drowning, um, people were trying to capture an awe-inspiring moment but they abused the dangers surrounding the, beautif- the, the, the beauty that they were in. And so it could be that they were uh, on rocks by the ocean trying to get a quick picture of the beauty of the creation there, and they did not heed the warnings to not be on the rocks. So they wanted to catch the beauty of that moment, but they were uh, also abusing the beauty at the same time. The story of Mark here that I'm going to be talking about here is an awe inspiring story of grace. In the story, we see beautiful grace on display and that we're going to talk about. Unfortunately, we also see the abuse of grace in the story. And so, if I was going to give you a thesis statement or a big idea or something that I want all of us to walk away with, it would be this It is easy to abuse beautiful grace. It is easy to abuse beautiful grace. And so as we walk through this text this morning, this is what I want us to be thinking about, that the beauty of grace that we see, unfortunately, it is way too easy to abuse it. And so the message has two parts this morning. First of all, we're going to see this idea of the beauty of grace. And so my first point is this, is that you see the beauty of grace every day. Every day you are confronted with grace and it is beautiful. Whether we recognize it or not, we see grace's beauty every day. Now, I want you to consider the story here for a second, though, of this, this idea of this leper coming to him and, and begging him and kneeling before him and saying, Jesus, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, you have to understand a little bit about what was happening here and you got to really appreciate the boldness of the leper, the leper in this situation. Because according to Leviticus chapter 13, and I encourage you at some point, read through Leviticus 13 and 14, and you will see the laws that governed this idea of leprosy. Now, it should be clearly understood that leprosy was kind of a catch-all category for really any persistent skin issue that they didn't understand what was happening. And so if someone had this ongoing skin issue and rashes, it would have been considered leprous. And there was varying degrees of this, of course. Uh, often people who were struggling uh, uh, or afflicted with leprosy were disfigured. Because we now know that leprosy really isn't about flesh just falling away. It's that there's no pain sensation and there's, there's no nerves in, anymore. And so what happens is, is that people that have no pain sensation at all, they do very dangerous things. Uh, you, you can read a, a book called The Gift of Pain, written by Philip Yancey and and Dr. Brand, I think it was his last name. And they talk about how that in his work, Dr. Brand's work in India, how that uh, he worked with leprous people in India, and people would, uh, if a potato, as they were cooking, fell into the fire, people would just reach into the fire and pick the potato out and continue on cooking, not knowing that they had just received burns on their hands. Another story was a a man that he was uh, 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 mopping uh, the floor and he didn't realize it, but a nail had protruded out of the handle. And so the entire time he's mopping, his hand is going into that nail. And at the end of, of the job, he all of a sudden realized he's got blood everywhere. He never felt it. It's those type of things that happen when they don't recognize pain, they don't know when to stop, that it causes disfigurement. Another story, a man uh, was running and he twisted his ankle and hurt it very badly, but he didn't know it was hurt, so he just continued to run on this ankle and of course damaged it very severely. And so these people who have no pain, sensation at all, they live their life. And what happens is is that their skin begins to deteriorate because of the injuries. And so because of this, according to Leviticus 13, according to Leviticus 14, what had happened is that they were told by the law that they could not be inside the camp. When they were traveling through in the tabernacle and setting up camp, when they were wandering in the wilderness, they could not be inside the camp. They had to stay a certain distance. In fact, if they were, uh, depending on the, the way the wind was blowing, they could be 400 cubits away or, or close to 100 cubits away from the closest person By the first century, when this was written, people that had leprosy would have to be wearing bells around their neck and would have to walk into areas. If they were ever coming close to people, the bell would sound that would be ringing that there was someone unclean there and they would have to cover their face with their hands and have to shout for everyone to hear, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. And so you understand what's happening here with this man when he comes to Jesus and he is begging Jesus to heal him. He approaches Jesus to heal him. The person the one thing this person did not have the freedom to do was interact and mingle with other people. Consider if this man had children and then he got leprosy. He can never hold his child. He can never kiss his wife. There's no touching at all. This is the man who comes up to Jesus and he's begging him, "Please, if you will, I know you have the power to do this. Please heal me." This is a beautiful story of grace. This is a beautiful story of how Jesus. Then he uh, uh, responds, and so we see the, the the situation. But how does Jesus respond? We see he's got a very emotional response. Verse forty-one it says, "Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him." Now, the earliest manuscripts of this text uh, they don't have the, the word that's for pity there. That's translated in our in our versions of the Bible as pity. Actually, the earliest versions have the idea of anger that Jesus was actually angry. Okay, Now we know that he's not angry at the person because of how he responds. Most likely, if it is indeed true, that Jesus is angry in this moment, and the reason why people think that that might be true is because of how he sternly warns in verse 43 and sends him away as another idea, very emotional, very strong feeling. And so Jesus here is kind of upset a little bit. He's compassionate, but he's upset. So how do we reconcile that? What most likely is happening here is that Jesus sees the effects of sin on this man because sin is, or disease is a result of sin entering into the world. And so most likely Jesus is seeing that this is the effect of sin and what it's done to his creation. And he's seen it as a human here with human eyes, and he is upset by it. And He says, we cannot have this, and he's moved with compassion compassion at that point. And the reason why I know he is compassionate in the midst of this is because not only does he heal the man, but he touches the man. The word for touch there has the idea of with both hands or strongly holding on to something, firmly grabbing something. And this is what Jesus did. When this man comes up to him, he firmly grabs him, I'm guessing by the neck and the, and the face. I don't know, maybe it was the shoulders. But he, get, he grabs him and he says, I will be made clean. What a story of grace. He, at great risk to himself, Jesus does this. Because think about this. What is everyone thinking that moment? The moment when Jesus reaches out and touches this leprous man. What does everyone else around think? He's unclean. He touched an unclean person. He is now unclean, and everyone takes a step back away from Jesus because now he's, a, he's, he's affected by this man. He's infected by this man in their understanding of it. We know that leprosy is not as contagious as it was thought in the first century, but in that moment, they thought that if you touch someone with this, you are instantly unclean and ceremonially, uh, ritually you were unclean. And so Jesus took upon himself uncleanness in an act of compassion. And the result of this is that this man is changed immediately. Did you see that in verse 42? It says, immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And so now this person could be with people. Now this person could touch other people. So this is the reason why Jesus sends him and says, you need to go show yourself to the priest because they need to declare you officially unclean. And now if this man has a child, he can run home and pick the child up. And now if this man is married, we know nothing about him, but if he is, he can embrace his wife for the first time. And now he can walk through the streets and he doesn't have to wear the bell. Now he can walk through the streets and he doesn't have to shout out that he is, unclean and cover his face. Now this man immediately at the touch of Jesus with no time elapsed at all, it is gone and it is done and God has, Jesus has taken that risk upon himself of of touching an unclean person and he makes him completely healed. Isn't this a beautiful story of grace that Jesus would would be willing to do this? It wasn't even like that he went to the Father and says, hey, should I do this? He just knew that this is what needed to be done. So this man was changed immediately, and he was touched by grace. He was touched by beautiful grace. Now, you see on the screen this number point, this first point here, that you see the beauty of grace every day. And we have stories like this to point us to God's grace, but every day in the world in which we live, we see God's grace. Have you ever considered the fact of what God has given to us that we just do not deserve? By the way, that's the definition of grace. Getting things that we just do not deserve. Have you considered the fact that even the world that God created, the beauty and the color and the variety, God did not have to give us these things. God could have made it all, you know, this earth that we, that we live in, it could have been just a wasteland. It could have been like Illinois okay, all right, but it's not. It's like beautiful Wisconsin, right, okay? And so we could have had this, 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 uh, this, um, this world that God's given to us, that would be monochromatic, or or there would be no uh, 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 sense of awe or wonder. But God hasn't done that, has He? Everywhere He's he, we look, we can see grace. We can see grace in the beauty, not in terms of uh, uh, just in terms of creation outside, but think about in here. We see like we got these beautiful stained glass windows here, and you're like, now, why is, How is? What do you mean? How is that grace? Well. God has given man and women the ability to create beautiful things. And we should be reminded of this. When we look at stained glass windows, we shouldn't just be like, hey, that's nice. We should think, God, you are so good. You have given us things that we just do not deserve. And God is constantly showing grace upon us. And the reality is, is that we just miss it a lot of times. We look for stories like this where the leper comes and we have this massive change, and that is a great story of grace, but what about your everyday life? And so what I'd like us to do this week, I'd like us to think about how is God showing grace to us, things that we don't deserve. But the greatest example of grace that is shown to us personally is our salvation, Right. If, if you have a Bible, go over to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. I'm going to show you a couple of the texts this morning. If you're using one of the Bibles provided in the seats there, um, we'll start in um, page 940. Verse nine. Um, there's a comparison. He's answering the question that he starts in the beginning of the chapter: Do Jews have advantages over Gentiles? And he says this in verse nine. What then are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already, uh, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. In verse ten here, so he's talking about everyone here. Okay. As is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. That is a terrible thing to read. Because he's just said we're, we're, there's no difference between Jews and Gentiles. He's, he's talking to everybody now. Everyone, so th- this, this means us. Okay, you and me, we're in this. So when we see here, it says none is righteous, no not one. None understands, none seeks after God. He's talking about in our natural state of how we are, apart from God's intervention in our lives, we don't care about God. And we are dead in our sins. That is terrible news. Look at verse 21 of Romans 3. But now, the righteousness of God has been made manifest apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And so what we have here is we have terrible news that we are all sinners and that we are against God. And because of that, we have to face God's wrath and the penalty of our sins. But we have here this idea of the righteousness of God being shown towards us. Jesus living that perfect life of obedience. Jesus dying in our place. This is the reason why he came. This is the reason why Jesus is here. And so this is enormous, breathtaking, awe-inspiring grace that if you're a believer in Christ, this is everyday life for you. And we should rejoice in that. It should cause us to worship God. I put it on the screen in Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 5, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, let us stray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. Other than that, we were pretty good, right? But we'll look at the next part. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration of the renewal of the Holy Spirit. We see grace on display every day, not just in creation, not just in the beauty, and we see God's blessing that he gives us to us, not every time we open the garage door with an automatic garage door opener, which is grace, okay? Okay. all these things, the way God has given uh, uh, to us, we see that every day. But if you're a believer in Christ, the greatest story of grace, the, greatest, the most beautiful story of grace is that you were born dead in your sins and now you are alive in Christ Jesus. And if that's not you today, today could be the day. And again, it's not about how long you've been coming to church. It's not about if you're a member of the church or not a member of the church. It's a matter of do you believe in Jesus? And are you clinging to the grace of God through Jesus Christ? Before I move on to the second point, I wanted to round out this idea of beauty and how beautiful this grace is that God has given to us. Um, the Bible uses lots of word pictures to talk about how God deals with our sins when we repent of our sins and believe in Jesus Christ. I'm just going to read some of them to you. In Psalm 103, it says that God takes our sins and removes them as far as the east is from the west. Think about that picture. He removes the sin that would have damned you to eternity of hell. And he says, I'm going to remove it as far as the east is from the west. He says, and also in Psalm 103, that God does not treat us as our sin deserves or repay us according to our iniquities. He does not treat us the way we deserve because of our sin. Isaiah says that you, God, have put all of my sin behind your back. He's put it behind him. Um, In Micah, we see that the prophet there says that you will tread our sins underfoot and, I love this word picture, hurl our iniquities into the depth of the sea. Throw them far away. Isaiah also says that our sins are blotted from the record, removed from our record. Colossians chapter 1 says that we, because of God's grace, if we believe in him, we are now free from accusation. Think about the beauty of grace that is in display or on display in your life if you're a believer in Christ Jesus. It is a beautiful story of grace. You know we may not have had the physical leprosy that this man had in Mark, but we definitely had spiritual leprosy. We definitely could not be in the camp. We definitely could not. uh, We definitely were hard. Um, We're in a hard place, but Jesus changes that. So here's the application. I just want you to be amazed at grace. It's a beautiful thing. So let me encourage you to do this sometime this week. Get out a piece of paper, get out a pen, and try to sit down and think of 20 things that God has given to you that you don't deserve. Okay? So get a piece of paper out, one through 20, and say, what are some things that God has given to me that I just do not deserve? Write them down. Okay? And then once you get done with 20, turn the paper over and do 20 more. Okay? And then once you're done with that, grab a second piece of paper and do 20 more. Because I'm gonna tell you, you're gonna come up with 60 things really fast, okay? So maybe set a timer, do it as a family. I encourage maybe some of our small groups to do this. Set a timer for five minutes. Do it as a family and say, How, what are some ways that God, or what are some things that God has given to us that we simply do not deserve? And start writing as fast as you can. And I'm going to tell you, you're going to see things and you're going to remember things that is like, God has been great. And then at the end of that exercise, don't just walk away going, I got a good life. Walk away saying, I have a great God. Amen. And then spend time praying together as a family and saying, God, thank you for these things. And then take that list and throughout the rest of the week, take one or two of those things. And when you're driving to work or or when you're doing some household chores or whatever your daily life is, you're taking the kids to school or whatever it is, pray about those things and thank God for those things. Grace is a beautiful thing. And it has been shown to us over and over again. But I also said that it's easy to abuse grace. What do I mean by that? Well, back in the text of Mark chapter 1, Jesus, verse 43, he sternly charged him. Again, this idea of him being angry, and you, you, you wonder, why is Jesus angry at this point? Most people understand Jesus to be upset at this point because he knows what's going to happen. And he knows the severity of what's about to happen. But he still has to warn him anyway. Have you ever warned someone knowing that they're going to do it anyway? You know that feeling that you get? Please listen to me. I know you're not going to, but please listen to me here. This is what Jesus is going through here. He sternly warns him. Verse 43. He charged him and he sent him away at once. And he said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for proof to him. You see, this leper was given a very specific command and he had completely disregarded it because in verse 45 he says he went out and began to talk freely about it. Now we've got to ask ourselves our question, why would Jesus say, don't talk about this? Wouldn't it make most sense for him to proclaim this and tell everyone about what Christ has done for him? And of course that makes most sense and that's what made most sense to the leper and that's why he did it. But Jesus had a wise plan in place and he knew that that would be counterintuitive to his mission. How do I know that? Because, remember last week in verse 35-39 through 39, the whole point was that the disciples wanted Jesus to stay and keep healing and he says, no, I've come to share the gospel of spiritual good news to everyone. I can't be trapped in one city just healing people of their physical diseases all the time. I need to go and tell people how they can have their sins forgiven. That was the mission of Jesus. And he knows this. And he knows that if the leper makes a big deal about this, it's gonna hinder the plan. But the leper... He had just received the greatest act of grace in his life. And he abused it. He says, I I gotta tell people, I, I know you said this, it's not a matter of, he said, well, I didn't hear you. Of course he heard them. And he went out and he did it anyway. And we see there's some terrible effects of this that no longer could Jesus openly enter a town don't you can can, can you see can, can you see the irony in this situation remember the leper before meeting jesus was he free to go into towns not at all before meeting jesus was this leper able to interact with people and do whatever he wanted no he had a life of 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 imprisonment if you will But then after meeting Jesus, he's free. He can go wherever he wants. He doesn't have to uh, uh, be restricted to certain areas, and he can go to wherever he wants because he met Jesus. But then, let's, let's look at Jesus. Before meeting the leper, he's able to go to town after town after town. But after touching the leper and healing him, he's now restricted. You see, the... That's the gospel in a nutshell right there, that Jesus switches places with us. Okay? And that's what's happening here. He switched his places with them. But it still was an abuse of grace on the leper's part. He should have obeyed God. Grace should always move us to obey God, not disobey God. But this leper abused grace. I said that you and I can as well. Go to Romans 5. Romans 5. uh, Some of you may still be in Romans 3, so it'll be just a couple pages over. But Romans 5, page 942. um, I I, I want you to see this here. In verse 19, it says... um, Actually, I'll start in verse 18. Romans 5 Uh, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now, when law came in to increase the sin or the trespass, but where sin increased... Grace abounded all the more. Okay, So where sin is at, the more sin, the more grace is required. Look at verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? So the more I sin, the more God's grace is on display, well then maybe I should sin more. He's He's anticipating this question that we all would logically think. And he says, by no means, in verse 2. How can we who died to sin still live in it? But the reality is, is sometimes we experience such freedom from the law. We, we experience such freedom of like, I don't have to earn my salvation. That's awesome. I don't have to do these things. And so what we do with that is that we actually move away from obedience then. And that's abusing grace let us not abuse grace. Galatians chapter five, go ahead and turn over to Galatians chapter five. I just want you to see these these passages here and wrestle with them. Galatians chapter five, this is going to be page um, uh, 974 if you're using the Bibles there. Again, Paul talks about how it's easy to abuse grace because grace gives us freedom. We get freedom in grace and so like this leper had freedom now but he used it for his own agenda. He used it for his own wisdom and it was abusing the grace that God had given to him. And we are in danger of doing the exact same thing. Chapter 5, verse 1 of Galatians. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So here we see Paul saying that God has given you freedom. There's freedom in Christ. And so you don't have to keep all these laws to try to measure up. You don't have to try to earn your salvation and you don't have to do all these things to try to get God's approval because in Christ we have that approval and it's wonderful news and it's a great act of grace on our part. But we gotta be careful not to abuse it because look at verse 13 of Galatians chapter five. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbors yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by another. Just don't use your freedom. This grace as God has given to you, don't use it for an opportunity for the flesh. Your freedom so here's the application: be on guard against abusing grace. Be on guard against abusing grace. Your freedom should not lead to satisfying the flesh here of verse 13 of Galatians chapter five. Your freedom should lead us to serving other people. That's verses 14 and 15 that we see in this text. Grace should lead you to greater obedience, not to less obedience. But it's the motivation. You see, the reason why we didn't need uh, or or the the obedience wasn't going to be helpful to us is because we weren't going to find merit in God's eyes uh, or forgive us of sins through obedience. But once we receive God's grace, once we receive God's forgiveness, then we have the motivation, the proper motivation for obedience. No longer is it trying to earn his favor, it's trying to glorify him. It's trying to worship him through our obedience. It's trying to point other people to him through our obedience. And so that's why it changes here. This great act of grace that you and I potentially have experienced here of, of having our sins forgiven, Yes, there's great freedom there, but don't use it to don't, don't use that to serve your own desires at that point. And we see this; I see this a lot of like people say, "Well, I don't want to be legalistic, and so we don't have to do this, that, or the other thing." And it's true; you don't have to to get God's favor. That's in Christ, but maybe there's another purpose to it. Maybe it's the purpose of pointing other people to Christ, and so. We could apply this in a lot of different ways, but I'm going to center on kind of one or two real quickly here before I draw this to a close. How do we know if we abuse grace? We abuse grace when we refuse to show others the grace we have received. This is one way. It's not the only way. But we abuse grace when we refuse to show others the same grace that we receive. Remember that story that Jesus told of the, the people that owed a lot of money and the one owed a lot and the other one didn't owe so much. Or, um, and then um, um, he says both were forgiven. He asked who was more thankful. And then Peter says, well, the one who was forgiven much. Okay. So this idea of being forgiven much should motivate us. And then he also tells a story about a man who owed a lot of money to the king and uh, the king says pay me pay me right now and the guy says I can't he says I'm gonna throw you in debtor's prison then he says please just give me a little bit more time I'll come up with it and so finally he says okay fine I'll just forgive it you go home be with your family it's all forgiven the man walks away having been forgiven greatly and he looks over and he sees another man who owes him just a little bit of money and so he goes over and he physically assaults the man he says give me the money that you owe me and the man basically says the same thing he says I'm sorry I don't have it. I, he goes, you're going to debtor's prison. He says, I, I just need some more time. And he says, no more time for you. To prison you go. Well, the king hears about this, and he's justifiably outraged. And he calls the man back and he says, how is it that you have been forgiven so much could demand so much of other people? Yeah, you know, that that's us, though. I mean, think about the patience that God has shown towards us. Think about the forgiveness that God has shown towards us. And are we patient with each other? Are we forgiving towards each other? Do we hold on to grudges? Are we gentle? Are we forbearing with one another? These are all ways that God has been gracious to us. And we cannot withhold that from other people. And if we do, We're abusing the grace that God has given to us. One other illustration, application to to try to drive this point home. Um, Quick question. Survey here. How many of you uh, first heard the gospel message before you were 10 years old? Raise your hand. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. Most of you. Okay, a lot of us. I did. Okay. Think about... The grace that was given to you in that. Okay? So think think about the the that gift that God had given to you and to me to hear the gospel message early in our lives. Okay? Beautiful gift. We remember we abuse grace when we refuse to show the same grace that we've received. Now, the application here is in that everyone has to serve in our children's program in our church. Okay, that's not the application here. Although, <laughs> some of our workers are saying, no, that, that's a good application, Jeremy. Okay, but the application is we should support the work of giving the gospel to the next generation. Now, maybe not everyone's equipped to be a teacher for younger kids. That's fine. You don't have to do that. But do you support that idea? if you have children are you giving the gospel to the next generation what about your grandchildren for those who have grandchildren is that a goal is that an aim of yours to make sure that they understand the gospel message or is that well that's the, that's the parents job no it's our job Okay, And so if you are serving in a ministry, make sure that you're understanding what you're doing. You're, you're in the nursery, okay? You're down in the nursery, and we could use more nursery workers as well. If you're down there, you're not just there to keep the kids from crying, okay? although we appreciate it when you do. What you are there for is to bring the gospel to the next generation. You say, well, they can't understand anything. What are you talking about? As you're holding these kids, you can pray for them, Right? As you're playing on the ground with them, you can pray for them, right? And as you're changing diapers, if you have to do that, you pray for the parents, okay? Because you know what they're dealing with at home. But the idea is, but you also pray for the parents when you're down there, right? Okay, so what I'm trying to say is any type of ministry we have, it has this idea of bringing the gospel to other people. And so this idea of children's ministry... This is just an application, okay? This is not the, the only way for us to fulfill this. I'm just saying, this is a way that we can support that. We have an Iwana ministry here that is, there's a ton of kids every Wednesday night. I mean, there's just a lot of kids that come through this building, and we've heard stories recently of how God has used that to impact kids' lives. Okay, if We should be supporting this somehow, and and we could use more workers there, okay? But even in your prayer life, if you you can't, we understand that everyone can, but are you praying for this ministry? Are you praying for the children of our church? Are you praying for the parents of our church? Again, this is just an application of the point here. And you could run at a lot of different application points. But we abuse grace when we refuse to show others the grace that we received. Some of you knew from an early age that you knew the gospel message. That was a grace gift from the Lord. You Make sure that you're doing that to other people. Um, if you can't teach, maybe help teach. If you, or, or say a note of, write a note of encouragement to the teachers that are already there, that you're praying for them. Again, so many ways to do this but make sure we're showing grace to other people. That's just one area. We could talk about uh, a lot of other areas. So I said earlier today that the thesis was that it is easy to abuse beautiful grace, and we took time this morning to look at how beautiful grace is and how you have seen grace and you see grace every day, and now what I'm imploring us to do, all of us, is let us not abuse the grace that's given to us. It should motivate us to obedience Not give us freedom not to obey. There's a song that we're going to sing in just a second. It's called How Deep the Father's Love for Us. I want to walk through the lyrics. I have them on the screen, and then the music team will come and lead us in it. The song begins How Deep the Father's Love for Us. How vast beyond all measure. That he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. The wretch, there's you, okay? And it's me to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. As the wounds which were inflicted upon Jesus, the chosen one, that is bringing many to glory. Behold, the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I I hear my voice, my mocking voice, call out among the scoffers, the people who are mocking Jesus. Man, I, I hear my voice in there. It was my sin, it was our sin that held him there until it was accomplished. It was the will of the Father that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life I know it is finished. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom. That's the grace that we are living in every day if we know Jesus. Now let's live out that grace and show it towards other people. Grace is a beautiful thing. Let us not abuse it this week. Father, thank you for this reminder of this leper who he was transformed by Jesus. But then in his freedom, he just lived as he wanted without regard to obeying the simple commands of Jesus. May we not make that same mistake. And may we be thankful for the grace you've shown to us, and may we not abuse it. In Christ's name we do pray, amen.